For unto us a child is born. Welcome back. You're with Radio Veritas, the Catholic radio station. Archbishop William Snatchy, the program is changing gear Thursday afternoon, just after 4.30 in the afternoon. And uh, I thank you for joining us and welcome you if you're just joining us again. And hopefully during the course of this year, you'll stay with Radio Veritas and also with Changing Gear. Hopefully there is something uh, for you in this program. Now, we've just been speaking about youth and congratulating them and underlining their huge importance as they are the church and asking our church, our priests, our parishes uh, to respond generously, listen to the youth, share with them, involve them, answer the questions that they have, not the questions that we ask ourselves, but the questions they ask us, and uh, uh, they will uh, enrich us too. Now, another issue that we're celebrating this year Uh, is the bicentenary. I'm mentioning it now because we're in the middle of that celebration. Uh, Bicentenary means a double centenary, not 100 years, but 200 years. Uh, 1817, uh, 1818, the Catholic Church, uh, Pope uh, Pius VII at the time, um, uh, established, you know, that there would be a victor apostolic, a bishop, if you like, uh, to look after the Catholics of Southern Africa. And out of that has grown 200 years of history down to today, 2017, 2018, and we give thanks to that during the course of this year. And, of course, a celebration like that is an invitation to reflect where we come from, you know, and also where we are going, because the world is rapidly changing, the church is growing, but so are problems and so are challenges, uh, and uh, so is the response we must give. Now, it's true that at the moment, uh, the bishops, having consulted with the people for quite a while, are trying to finalize a pastoral plan. That is a plan of operation, a plan of ministry, a response to the church. And during the course of this year, hopefully that plan will be uh, before you. Um, it is, of course, centered around the concept of evangelization. Uh, Father Barney McAleer, thank God, who is back in South Africa, having had an operation on his heart overseas. Father Barney is back in Pretoria. McAleer, everybody knows him in all these areas. He used to say evangelizing is one poor man uh, telling another poor man where to find bread. And evangelization then is uh, encountering Jesus Christ or bringing people to Christ. And um, so the question then is, uh, in a pastoral plan, how can we help people to encounter the Lord? That, in a sense, will be part of the work of this centenary. Now, uh, the celebration which will come closest to you, to yourself, as you listen to me, will be on the 4th of February, February, Sunday, February 4, this year, 2018. Where will it take place? It will take place in your home parish. Each parish in the country, and there are over a thousand of them, are invited to have its own celebration to give thanks to God for the life and presence and existence of the church in our country and in our province and parish and in our community. Uh, 
Uh, a programme has been worked out from the liturgical committee and sent to all priests and parishes. So you have a programme with readings, uh, special readings for that day. Uh, there should also be an introductory letter from the bishop, which reminds me I better sit down and do something about that. Uh, we'll, uh, I suppose, underline a few aspects of the history of our local history uh, for each diocese. Uh, the theme... Uh, is taken from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, the theme of the Bicentenary, Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Uh, and the theme says, God has visited his people and redeemed them. You will find that in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel uh, in the prayer of Zacharias. God has visited his people and redeemed them. Uh, uh, the uh, Mass of that particular day on the 4th of February will be the Mass of the flight into Egypt. You remember Mary and Joseph uh, running away from Herod down to Egypt. And that was the dedication of the cathedral uh, in Cape Town where the church first established itself. And the readings will relate to that, for example, from Matthew's Gospel, the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. So there's a special liturgy and all priests do have a, a text and parish councils. You do have a simple outline of what that day should be liturgically. Now, uh, so that's in the 4th of February in your home parishes. That is the main celebration in a sense that it will affect the majority of our people. Uh, the Bicentenary will touch you most uh, intimately there. However, on the, from the 23rd to the 30th of this month of January, 23 to 28 January, is the plenary session of the Bishops' Conference. So the bishops of Botswana, South Africa and Swaziland, uh, we come together annually on two occasions. Uh, in uh, January, nearly always at St. John Vianney Seminary in Waterkloof, Pretoria. And then in uh, August, we come together again at Marion Hill, at the monastery in Marion Hill. Now, so therefore, 23 to 30 January, the bishops will be here at St. John Vianney Seminary. I'll speak about uh, the themes and some of the discussions that will take place next week on this uh, programme. Uh, now, the um, during that week, of course, there is always a Sunday there. And Sunday, the 28th of January, uh, the bishops will go together for a concelebrated mass uh, to celebrate this bicentenary at Zwavelport, the Church of the Beatitudes. So on the 28th of January, uh, the bishops who will be staying at St. John Vianney Seminary will go to say the Sunday Mass uh, at uh, a Sunday Mass. The, the, the parish has a, an early Mass and then a Mass for those who would like to attend. Um, and I invite, uh, I have sent out a letter inviting, well, first of all, the Mamalodi Mass Choir will conduct the singing as they do so mar magnificently every time. Are they not the national champions at the moment? I'm not sure, but they did fantastically well last year in the national competitions. And so they will be singing 
Um, and so I have invited in a special way because, you know, it's limited. It's and uh, even though the church is very, very big, it's a magnificent church and quite a lot of people can get in. At the same time, it is also limited. And so I have invited in a special way all the executives, parish council, finance and pastoral, parish council committees, and also the executives of all the sodalities in Mitlangano. And also, if you slip in there yourself, you will be welcome. But I haven't said that it should be, uh, you know, the whole diocese should descend on the church because it's limited the amount of space. And that Mass will be at 11 on the 28th of January. There will not be catering um, because there's not a big hall there. And the bishops, anyway, will be staying at St. John Vianney Seminary and will come back there after Mass. Uh, The Apostolic Nuncio, Archbishop Peter, will be there as well. Now, we are celebrating a centenary. We're celebrating... Actually, not a thing or an institution either. We're celebrating the lives of uh, some magnificent people over the last 200 years. Uh, you know, I uh, you know worked for many years in Coxstead, 17 years. And when I went there first, the Holy Cross sisters were there. One of them was Sister Teodata. She died at the age of 103. She came to South Africa around 1931 or 32. Now, that's a long time ago. And uh, she uh, often uh, regaled me with uh, life uh, in the convent and life in the parishes of what is now almost uh, 85 years ago. Uh, she used to go with Father McCann, as he then was, Cardinal later, out to Robin Island because before it became a prison, uh, when it was uh, uh, linked with the Navy uh, in order to, to prepare children for, um, families live there, in order to prepare children for First Holy Communion. But she told me, and it often brought out clearly to me the tremendous generosity and sacrifice so many people uh, offered in order to build up the church in South Africa. She relates that she was German. She was from Essen in Germany, West Germany. And she told about, you know, maybe 15 or 16 young girls, 18, 19, 20, 21, saying goodbye to Germany and to their parents, never to come back to Germany again. You know, they left never to go home again. And Sister Teodati used to say, eventually the congregation, Holy Cross, had to ban parents going to say goodbye at the port, Hamburg, the great shipping port uh, in the north of Germany. Uh, the, the, the young women got on board the boats that took them down to Cape Town, down to South Africa, uh, from Hamburg. But the congregation banned the parents because it was so dreadful a day, you know, and they say so many of the fathers uh, fainted and had to be, uh, you know, helped when they said goodbye to their daughters, knowing that they would never see them again. They were very difficult to communicate in those days. There was The phones were very little, and anyway, you were not allowed to use them as a religious. You came out here and you gave your whole life building up. You didn't earn any money in your hand. You were part of a congregation. You spent your life teaching or nursing or doing parish work or building or gardening or cooking. You spent your whole life at the service of 
of other people for nothing. And it was through the work of these uh, sisters like that and all the congregations that they were able to build magnificent schools all over the country through the labor of these nuns and sometimes priests as well. And last week, as I say, we said goodbye to Sister Mary Aquinas O'Sullivan from Ireland. She was 99 at Lady Selburne. And then uh, uh, two days later, we said goodbye to Sister Teresa Connolly, also from Ireland. She was 90 years of age and she was one of the foundresses of the little company of Mary Magnificent Hospital in Pretoria, in Swanee itself. She was one of the, the founding members in 1957 of that uh, hospital, which became, uh, you know, nationwide famous. Um, I remember uh, in Parliament, the right-wing politician, Dr. Herzog, uh, made an impassioned plea to Afrikaans people not to go to Catholic hospitals. It was a danger, he said, to their faith. Dr. Herzog said, do not go to Catholic hospitals. Afterwards, a journalist asked him, well, doctor, why then uh, is your wife uh, at the little company of Mary Hospital in Pretoria while you are in Parliament condemning Catholic hospitals? And he was embarrassed, of course, and so far as he was capable of being embarrassed, uh, he said, well, uh, my, uh, my wife had an extremely serious operation and the specialist told him that she either goes to uh, the little company of Mary Hospital in Pretoria or we will not be our specialist or doctor anymore because that's the best after care hospital in the country. Uh, and so uh, I was just looking, I was preaching at uh, Sister Teresa's foundress, one of the foundresses of the little company of Mary Hospital in Pretoria. And there, there was about uh, 15 people at the funeral, most of them uh, sisters and religious. And, you know, uh, really and truly, you know, when one of these singers dies here in South Africa, there seems to lower the flags to half mast nationwide. Government stops. There's huge celebration, bands and music uh, for someone who has just been passed away. Whereas people like Sister Teresa, who gave her whole life uh, to, uh, and many people are alive today because of the work of such pe uh, people, uh, she just slips away way, as it were, unseen and unnoticed. Uh, but it reminded me of the funeral of St. Therese of Lisieux, probably one of the greatest of all saints. Uh, at her funeral on a wet Monday morning in Lisieux in France, there were five people present. And yet she is an international name, one of the most famous people in the history of the whole church. Uh, so I'll say a few more words about the centenary. Let's listen now to Bandlam Toussaint. So let us uh, praise uh, church, praise the Lord. Welcome back. It's Radio Veritas. Um, changing gear. Archbishop William Slattery with you. We are talking by centenary. And thank you. I'm delighted to be talking to you wherever you may be. It's lovely to have this opportunity to chat. And thank you for the hospitality of your home or your car or wherever you may be. Uh, we're, I've been speaking about celebrating uh, the fact that the church is 200 years here in South Africa. Actually, the first Catholics who came here came here well over 500 years ago. But the formal uh, establishment of the church is 200 years at the moment. And um, I just want to say that in, in celebrating this day, we're celebrating 
generation after generation of wonderful people, Christian people, Catholic people, people who belong totally to Jesus Christ. And it's not only celebrating people like uh, Blessed uh, Daswa, who was a wonderful martyr of the faith and a saint of the church, or Joseph Gerard, and or either now Domitilla and Danny Hyam, wonderful people who've established so much care for the handicapped and the needy. Yes, we celebrate them, but I would just like to underline also the, the, the laity of our country, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, those who by their labor, by their finance, by their uh, faithfulness to the church, by the sacrifices they made to send you and your children or your ancestors indeed before you, send them to Catholic schools and hospitals, made it possible for the church to do what it did. Um, and I just, um, there's two or three people that come to mind um, that, uh, is, for example, in Pretoria, uh, we have Father de Hovre, who was an OMI priest. The OMIs were very, very uh, involved in the establishment of the church in this whole, what used to be called the Transvaal area, or this Gauteng, northwest, and right down to Pomalanga. And one of these early missionaries was Father de Hovre. Um, so he began, the Holy Cross Sisters had arrived at Bantuli in Pretoria in 1916. Father de Hovre began his zealous work at this mission, Bantuli, which is just there at Rebecca Street in Pretoria, and which is the be- uh, which in the beginning he cycled out every day. But he soon took up residence in a small room, formerly used by the sisters as a laundry. It was only 10 feet, 3 meters square, with a lean-to, which served as a kitchen, and where he lived for over 12 years. In the summer months, he rigged up a bed uh, on a nearby tree. Those were happy days, he used to say, and endless crowds of people, African people, found in him a friend and a helper. And uh, one evening on returning home, Father de Hovre found a deputation sitting around his dwelling. They had come from the Vilt to find the true church in Pretoria, they said. And after a few days' search, they were directed to Bantuli, and there they met Father de Hovre. And it was on the Feast of the Epiphany, just now, as you swear, in 1921, and Father saw in this coincidence the hand of God. His bicycle came into use again, and several times he made the journey to the Vilt and visited the people. In due course, a stone church was built by one of the people, and Bishop Cox of the time came to bless and open the buildings dedicated to the Most Holy Redeemer. A rondavel built behind the church was used by Father for his overnight stays until the first resident priest, Father van Hechte, arrived. He was to be, uh, his was to be a very brief stay. Two days after Christmas, he went down to the post office and dropped dead at the very doorway. Um, the Sisters of the Most Precious Blood from Marion Hill came to the Vilt, but they also did not remain long as it was felt they were too isolated from their other communities. The Holy Cross Sisters took over in 1929. In the course of time, the Vilt became a centre for several other missions. But today, under the Stigmatine Fathers, there has been an even greater development along that beautiful valley. In fact, the Stigmatines have expanded the work 
all over the northwestern deanery of our archdiocese and done fantastic work. Uh, and there, uh, Father Hovre lived out his life. Um, uh, he was, in fact, to die very young. Um, about 1931, Father Hovre used to cycle the 28 miles from Pretoria, often in extreme heat, to St. Camillus in Hammond's Crawl, another place which he established. And through his efforts and the assistance of one of his men, he erected a simple oblong building to serve as a church, to which he gave the name of his own patron. He was Camillus de Hovre, and is called St. Camillus to this day. Um, and in between his other obligations in Bantuli, he would spend a few days in Hammond's Crawl, often with no other sustenance than half a loaf of dry bread and a small bag of peanuts. But the mission developed, a small school was started, and Father's one and only visit overseas for leaf enabled him to collect funds for development. For a few months, he gave himself the luxury of a motorbike, but he soon returned to his old bicycle. He says, when I have a puncture and breakdown, I can always put the bicycle on my back and reach the mission. All his cycling, often with a happy-go-lucky attitude to his daily sustenance, ultimately undermined his health. And in January 1936, um, Father Brady received a call to the mission uh, through the local uh, storekeeper. It was a Sunday morning and he found Father de Hovre lying on a mattress under a tree. The iron roof sacristy without a ceiling was too hot. After Mass, I brought Father, he said, Father Brady said, I brought Father de Hovre back to Pretoria. Despite his heartfelt plea to die, he says, among my people at Hammondscraw. The doctor pronounced his heart had given in. He was less than 24 hours in the sanatorium when he died. All his missionary life he had laboured and lived alone, but there were some 20 of his fellow oblates around him uh, when the master came to uh, call him. He was 56 years of age, uh, in journeyings often, and he had worn himself out. A few days later, when he was buried in, in Pretoria, his African people wept and stayed on till sunset at his graveside. They had lost a father and a founder. So this is the kind of person we celebrate when we celebrate the centenary of the church. And I would just, uh, and look, just recently, and this is a very sad event, on two days before Christmas, just now, 23rd, Saturday the 23rd of December, I went to uh, Mahube Valley, down at the end there of Mamelodi, uh, for a very sad event. Um, uh, Lucas uh, Mojueba, um, a wonderful young Catholic, MC and totally involved in the church, 30 years of age. Uh, he noticed, you know, uh, that the priests down there were very exposed and very vulnerable and to act, uh, to, to, he used to stay in the house with father who was alone. And as they were alone one evening, uh, some bandits broke in there, fired some shots, and then because perhaps uh, they might rec he might recognize him, they beat him continually over the head, blood spattered all over the recreation room, on the, on the chair, on the walls, on the windows. He, uh, Lucas was in a coma for 
uh, 30 days and died. And on the 23rd of December, we buried him at Mahube Valley. Now, that was a tremendously uh, terrible thing. And the priest there, uh, you know, speaking about Lucas, uh, this young man who assisted him and who came to stay to give him courage to stay at the mission, uh, he, call, he, called this, uh, he called Lucas a martyr. And really and truly, here's a man who gave his life and died because he wanted to defend his priest. And um, But I, I just said to the people at the funeral, look, uh, the church was absolutely, utterly packed. All the choirs, because Lucas was very, very into music. I mean, when I was there for confirmation a, a month before his death, uh, he, he had a concert for me and he himself sang quite a number of songs. He was a member of the choirs in Mamalodi and maybe 130 people from the big uh, choirs in Mamalodi were all present. The church was packed. And I said, this is what we must remember of this day. Yes, the terrible death of Lucas, a martyr who died because he defended his priest. But we must remember the goodness of all the people who came on a Saturday morning, uh, just at Christmas time, who stayed there for hours singing, who accompanied him to his grave. The goodness of people in our church. And it's the goodness that we celebrate uh, for 200 years. And that is why the Bicentenary is a time of joy. Let us listen now to our next uh, hymn and we are going to speak now about Epiphany for a short time and let us sing We Three Kings. <laughs> 